0: Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Unsearchable are his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has given to God such that God should repay them? For it is from him... And through him and for him, there are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Sometimes you just have to magnify God. Sometimes you just have to stop what you're doing and magnify him by crying out, Oh, how great are the riches of his wisdom and knowledge. You must magnify God for who he is. And for what he does, unsearchable are his judgments. His paths beyond tracing out, ask yourself, who has known the mind of the Lord that the Lord has not revealed it to? Who is smart enough among all creation to know the mind of God unless God deems to reveal it to us? Who has ever provided counsel to God all-knowing, God almighty, God all-loving? Who has ever given to God such that God is in a position of indebtedness that he has to repay us? No, no, no. Never, never, never. Magnify him because from him and through him and for him are all things. And to him goes all the glory and magnification forever and ever and ever. Sometimes we just have to magnify God. And I think that we need to magnify God in our doctrine. We need to magnify God with what is true about him and about our faith. We need to magnify God with our whole self, not just part of us. The whole entire part of our being must cry out in magnification of God Almighty. We must magnify God in our transformation, for we are not the same as we once were, and we must embrace God the transformative nature of relationship with Jesus so that we magnify the triune God. We must magnify God in our relationships. Never look at yourself more highly than you ought to, but instead consider yourself with sober judgment and take carefully your view and consideration of everybody's contribution to the kingdom. We must magnify God in our congregation. It will not do to simply come and receive You can't just come and sing. You can't just come and hear the word. You have to magnify God within the congregation and you have to be involved. We have to magnify God with our lives. Our sermon today is going to pick up with the tail end of Romans chapter 11 and the first eight verses of Romans chapter 12. And boy, am I excited because the first two verses of Romans chapter 12 happen to be on my very short list of favorite verses in all of Scripture. They're on on everybody's short list. It's fantastic, and I can't wait. I've been circling this date for a long time, looking forward to it. Everybody wants to preach Romans 12. Everybody wants to. fact, Chris and I had to arm wrestle about who was going to get to preach Romans 12, the first half, and who was going to preach the second half. Yeah, he won, but in grace still allows me to preach the first half. Thanks, brother. He gets to preach the second half, nine to the end of the chapter, focusing on love, and oh, it's going to be powerful. Be here and invite your friends for next week. It's going to be good, but today, We are going to read the last few verses of Romans chapter 11, the first eight verses of Romans chapter 12. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and flip open there now, otherwise you can follow along on the screen behind me. But what I want you to pay attention to as we dig into this text this morning is how everything is all about magnifying God, magnifying God magnifying God for who he is, for what he does, magnifying God with everything we are and everything he has given to us. That is the theme of the end of 11, the beginning of 12. All of chapter 12 is about magnifying God. Let us jump into the text this morning, starting with Romans chapter 11, verses 33 and following. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has distributed to each of you. If it's it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Magnify God with everything you are and everything you have been given. This is what the Christian life is all about. Magnifying God with everything you are and everything you've been given. The reason is very, very clear. Paul lays it out beautifully in Romans 12, verse 1. Remember what he said. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. So, what is the mercy of God? Well, I've taken a list of some of the mercies God has revealed just through the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. God's mercies are truly glorious for by mercy we have been justified from the penalty of our sin. We all are sinners and we all deserve the punishment that comes with our sin. But God no longer sees us as sinners, he sees us as saints because we have switched places with Jesus He who had no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. By grace, we've been justified from the penalty of our sin. By grace, we've been adopted by God. No longer do we have to be aimless in the world because God's mercy has set it such that we are his sons and his daughters. By mercy, we have been made co-heirs with Christ. No longer do I view myself as an enemy, or even just a servant, or even a friend of God. I am a co-heir with Christ, and that mentality changes everything about how I live and how I magnify him. By mercy, I have been sanctified from the power of sin. By mercy, the Holy Spirit indwells us, and he's the one who helps us in our sanctification. As we collaborate with the Holy Spirit living inside of us, by God's mercy, we can become Christ-like. By God's mercy, we can grow in our Christ-likeness and magnify God, the triune master of heaven and earth, in how we reflect Jesus to the world around us. By mercy, we have glorified bodies promised to us. We will not continue to suffer in this flesh. Though this flesh continues to fade away and to get older and to get sicker and less healthy and less efficient, someday... Our resurrection body is coming. And we, by God's mercy, will be glorified. By mercy, we are loved by God no matter what. What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. There is no power in any existence that can drive a wedge between God's love and us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. These mercies are truly glorious and profound And because of them, the Christian life is dependent upon Christian truths. We know that God wants us to live in a certain way. We know that God wants us to reflect Christ to the world around us. We know that God wants us to honor our mothers and fathers, that he wants us to honor our spouses and submit to our spouse. He wants us to be in the world, but not to be of the world. He wants many, many things for us, and the only way we can live the Christian life that God intends for us is because of Christian truths. The Christian life has a foundation. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. If you do not put as the foundation of your life the truth, then you will not have a solid foundation at all. If you put anything other than the truth, and don't forget, Jesus himself says he is the truth. I am the truth, Jesus says. He's the way, he's the life. The only way that you can live the Christian life is to base your life upon the truth of Jesus Christ. And if you do so, you recognize that God's mercies, past, present, and future, ought to have persuasive power and pull over our will. God's mercy What he's already done, what he continues to do, and what he's promised to do for us yet should dictate how we live right now. It should change our mind, it should change our will, and we therefore should want to live the way he calls us to live. But it's only because we build build our foundation on Christ's truth. In view of God's mercy, there's something that we ought to do. In view of all this mercy, we ought to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. Because God wants all of us, not just our work. Now, the phrase living sacrifice is a pretty interesting turn of phrase by the Apostle Paul because uh, as you are well aware, sacrifices need to die, you have to slit the throat and drain the blood, and sometimes chop it in half, and sometimes light it on fire, and sometimes walk through this and walk that. It, it has to die. And so if you are a living sacrifice, we've got something of an oxymoron going on here. How is it that any person can live and die simultaneously? How can you be a sacrifice which requires death and yet be a living sacrifice, There's something going on that's very peculiar about Paul's admonition that we become a living sacrifice since sacrifices have to die. I think what's happening is that God wants all of us, not just a part of us. God doesn't want merely our work. He doesn't want us just to do the good things he wants us to do. In fact, that's what the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans have been denouncing again and again and again. No matter how hard you work, that will not make you right with God. No matter how good you think you are at following the law, you're not good enough, and it won't make you right with God. The only way to be right with God is to give all of yourself, not merely your work to him. You must give him yourself so that you accept fully his grace. That is the only way you can be right with God. God wants all of you. And if you are to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, wherever the body goes, the non-physical goes with it. What comprises a human being? A human being is comprised of both a physical aspect and a non-physical aspect. Our bodies, our brains, our flesh. This is the physical side of us. But the non-physical side of us, our soul, our mind, our spirit. Where our body goes, our soul follows And so if we are called to give our bodies as a living sacrifice, this means that God wants all of us. He wants every single part of us. If he only wanted our work, then the Pharisees would have had it right. Because they worked harder than anyone to be zealous about following the law, but they were not right with God. If we offer ourselves our whole self, as a living sacrifice, this is actually how we apply and make application to both Jesus Christ's greatest commandment and to his greatest challenge. Let's look at the greatest commandment for a minute. Jesus, in Luke ten twenty seven says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. That is the greatest commandment. That's what we are supposed to do. That's how we love God. When you offer yourself as a living sacrifice, you're saying all of me goes to God. All of me. My heart, my soul, my strength, indicative of body, and my mind. All of it is going to God. That's what he demands from us. The greatest commandment is to love him with everything, not merely our obedience, but every facet of our being. A living sacrifice is that which is dedicated completely unto the magnification of God. All of you, not just part of you but offering yourself as a living sacrifice is also the way to find application for Jesus Christ's greatest challenge. Just the verse uh, chapter before in Luke chapter 9 verse 23, Jesus says, "Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me." Take up your cross daily and follow me in order to be a disciple. This means you have to die If you were to take up your cross physically, you could only do that one time, because then you would be crucified. But as we take up our cross daily, we recognize that something in us has to die. And the thing within us that has to die is our selfishness. It's our desire to satisfy and satiate the flesh. It's our desire to do what we want to do, rather than merely what God wants us to do. When we take up our cross daily, we are saying, I am ready to die Not physically, but to myself and to my own selfish desires, my own sinful nature. And so when you combine the willingness to die every single day with the commitment to pledge every single part of yourself in dedicated magnification to God, that is what being a living sacrifice is all about. That's what being a living sacrifice is. You can die every single day and you can live for him with everything you are simultaneously because every single morning I get up, I need to kill myself. I need to kill the selfish desires within me because every day I reset. Every day I just want to go towards sin. My flesh pulls me towards sin and every single day I have to crucify the sinful man within me and live for God. Do you have to do that too? Do you have to do that? When you wake up, are you already predisposed towards going towards sin? I think that's why Jesus said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he's got to take up his cross daily and follow me. Because Jesus knows it has to be a daily thing. And so daily, we offer ourselves as living sacrifices to God Almighty. And it's a good thing too, because the world around us doesn't want us to do this. Remember what Chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. The culture and pattern of thinking of this world rebels against God. And it is in an unending revolt against God Almighty. The culture keeps going farther and farther away from God. And the pattern of thinking keeps trying to make us go farther and farther away from God also. The worldly culture tries to conform us to its ungodly pattern. Oh, you know full well about this. Think about school for a minute. No longer is prayer in school officially sanctioned, and the results are disastrous. The schools actively indoctrinate People against godliness and towards worldliness. The schools actively do this. Not just the universities, though there's plenty happening in the university, but even grade school is this way. And if not for the good godly teachers who still provide the good godly example, we would have no shot. But thank God for our good godly. We've got lots of good godly teachers in this room who resist resist being conformed by the pattern of this world. That's what we have to do. Think about the media for a moment. You can't watch the news for a single day without hearing a story about someone who's pushing people away from religion. It happens all the time. The fella that I'm debating on March 30th is the founder of the Freedom From Religion Foundation. And every single day, his website puts out news articles denouncing Christianity, denouncing the faith, and pushing people farther and farther away from godliness. It's our job to resist. Think about the entertainment we consume. It's very hard to find wholesome, clean entertainment these days. You have to watch entertainment with a very discerning eye, and you're going to have to make the choice. There are some things that you just don't watch. There are some things you just don't read. There are some things you just don't listen to because they do not magnify God in the least. Some people are more capable of discerning and finding something appropriate in certain things, but sometimes you just have to chuck it because some of the entertainment is so awful that there is no magnification of God in that. But that's what the world wants. It's our job to resist. Resist, resist, resist. Even in the sporting world, we see people moving towards being conformed by the pattern of thinking. It will be celebrated, anybody who takes a knee today. It will be celebrated. And yet, I really hope that Patrick Mahomes has a great game And I really hope that he wins Super Bowl MVP because when he gives his speech, he will magnify God before millions. I am magnifying God before hundreds, maybe thousands if you're listening on the internet, thank you. But he will magnify God before millions of people, whether he wins or loses. I love rooting for guys like Pat Mahomes and Tim Tebow and Kurt Warner because they use the platform they've been given as a talented athlete to magnify God and maybe we too should magnify God with everything we are and everything we've been given. Resist being conformed by the pattern of the world. Instead, be transformed by God. Never conformed to the pattern of the world. Be transformed by God. Do you know that the Greek word for transformed is metamorpho, where we get the word metamorphosis? And the other time in scripture it's used to describe someone is about Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus was transformed, transfigured, and the dazzling light shone around them. We are supposed to be transformed by God in such an amazing way that we stand in stark contrast to the pattern of the world around us. But how do we get transformed? We get transformed by the power of God through the renewing of our minds. Christians must think differently. It starts with your head and then goes to your heart and then goes to your hands. The pattern of transformation starts with your mind, what you think. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This means that feelings and actions are insufficient foundations for the Christian life. They're insufficient. Basing your life on feelings ignores the renewing of the mind. If you ask only, how do I feel? How do I feel today? How do I feel about the music today? How do I feel about the new preacher? How do I feel about my spouse? How do I feel about my job? If the foundation of your life is how do I feel, you will become fickle and you will flake out. It's people who say, how do I feel about the music that leave because they don't like how it was? It's people who say, how do I feel about the preacher who leave because they don't like him yelling and being super high-level inspirational all the time? (laughs) It's when you say, how do I feel about my spouse that leads to so much divorce? I don't care how you feel about the music. I don't care how you feel about the new preacher. I don't care how you feel about your spouse. There's something better. There's something better than how you feel. But it's not just what to do. If you base your life on actions, that ignores the renewing of the mind. If you say things like, oh, don't bother with your theology. Just tell me what to do. Give me the four points on this and the five keys to that and I'll be set. That's an insufficient foundation for the Christian life that will not do it because asking those questions, what should I do, is not enough. There has to be a layer of truth underneath it. The first question must be something better than feeling and it must be something better than action. But don't for a minute think that God is against feelings or doing. God feels very passionately and God commands us to be doers, not merely hearers of the word. God is all about feeling and doing, but that's not the foundation of the Christian life. Those are things that are stacked on top of the foundation of truth. The first question we must ask is what is true? Base life on truth. What is true here? What is true here about the music? Does the music magnify God? Yep. What is true about the new preacher? Does he read from the scripture and tell us what it says? Yep. What is true about your wife, your husband, your spouse? Did you commit to that person before God Almighty? Oh, yes, that's true. That's the foundation. And then you stack feelings and actions upon those. But feelings aren't the base because feelings don't ever exist independently of thoughts. If you want to change how you feel, change what you think. Thoughts, truth, that's the foundation. That's what we must have. And if you base your life on truth, by seeking truth daily in God's word, you'll be able to do a lot of incredible things. If you read, if you learn, if you study, and if you devote yourself to thinking, you'll be able to do a lot of incredible things. You recognize, of course, that Christians are people of the book. We invented the book, like the turn page, We're the ones who moved from scrolls to turn page because it's too hard to carry around a bunch of scrolls, so we put it all together. But I know people who don't like to read. Guess what? In 2020, you can listen. I don't care if you don't want to read it. Listen to it. Watch it. You have to learn. You have to study. You have to devote yourself to Christian truth because if you don't, you don't have the appropriate foundation. It starts with your head, then your heart, then your hands. But we live in a world where you can read the Bible completely accessibly in our culture today. And if you don't want to read it, listen to it. And if you don't want to listen to it, watch it. You can listen to sermons, watch sermons. You can listen to lessons and watch good lessons. And here at Glendale Christian Church, we try to provide opportunity. Not only do we get together and sing and serve and and worship and study and learn together, but we've got adult Bible classes, little kid Bible classes. Wednesday night, we've got Priscilla Schreier studies and we've got young adults and we've got little kids and I'm teaching an apologetics class. There's opportunity for you to grow and learn and if you don't, something's wrong with your foundation and you haven't decided to become a living sacrifice for God. If you do these things, read, study, study, learn, devote yourself to God's truth, one of the incredible things you'll be able to do is figure out God's will. You recognize that, right? One of the most complex things in all existence is what's God's will for my life? People want to know, what is God's will for my life? And so what I want to do today is show you real quickly how you can understand God's will and how we can figure out what God's will is. First, I have to say this. On a very real level, every single thing that happens is God's will. Nothing that happens can happen without God permitting it to happen. He's the source of all being. Remember, from him and through him and for him are all things. Everything has to be permitted by God. But you know what's very peculiar? God can permit a lot of weird things. God could permit me to quit, to sleep in, to never read the Bible again. God could do that. He permits a lot of things. That's not what we talk about when we say we want to know God's will. When we say we want to know God's will, we say things like, we mean, I want to know God's active will. What does God want? What does God want? God's permissive will is the very general sense that everything that happens, God permits. But what we mean is what is God's active will? What does God want? What does he actively want for my life? And, and it's pretty clear what he wants for, for our lives. But sometimes people don't just want God's active will, they want God's directive will They say, ooh, God, what's your directive will? Like, you told Jonah to go to Nineveh. Where should I go, God? And sometimes God doesn't tell you. You want to figure out God's will for your life? We can do that. But God's directive will is where he gives you a very, very specific, go here to school, marry this person, take that job. Whereas God's active will is, I want you to marry a godly person. I want you to go to a school in which you'll magnify me. And I want you to take the job that will magnify me. But if you want to figure out God's will, we can do it. Are you ready? I'm going to teach you today. You can know God's will by following these steps. This is how we renew our minds and understand God's will. First, study the Word of God. You want to know God's active will? 2 Peter 3, 9 is a good place to start. God's not slow in keeping his promise, as some people understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Here's God's act of will. Repent! That applies to everybody. Here's God's act of will. Build your life on the foundation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's God's act of will. Magnify him with everything you are and everything you've been given. You want to know what God wants? Read his book! He tells you what he wants. But sometimes we want to know really, really specific stuff. Oh, you want to know something really, really specific or something that might not be in the book. Okay. Pray and fast as a group. If you pray and fast corporately, God is more likely to respond in an audible, amazing way than if you pray by yourself. Just read the Bible. When people of godly character get together and pray, God shakes stuff. And if that's not working, keep praying and fasting on your own. Like, you gotta keep doing that yourself. Ask him. God, what is your will for my life? He likes to give out wisdom to anybody who asks. Ask him. He'll tell you a lot of stuff. But you have to learn how to understand what the Holy Spirit is telling you to know a lot of this. And so, maybe you're still unsure. Here's what you do. Seek godly counsel. Get your people together that you trust and are godly and ask them, what should I do? And then do what they say. Because God has given Authority to certain people to make decisions. I'm very grateful for Glendale Christian Church because we've got a very strong eldership. And I love that we've got good elders because sometimes you think, oh, what should we do? And so we ask the elders and they say, and then we do that and it's great. I love having godly elders. The godly elders have seen fit to let me join them in leadership. Andrew, help lead. And the elders said, the number one thing we want you to do is help our congregation grow deeper. I said, okay, because that's the number one thing I like to do. It starts with the head. Get ready. We're going to do some mind stuff. And that's what I try to bring every single week. Because that's how it starts, because that's the foundation upon which feelings and actions are built. Head, heart, hands. Head is the foundation. But if you're still not sure, just start knocking on doors. Oh, which school should I go to? I don't know. You start applying to a lot of schools. And if you only get into one, I guess God's will is pretty clear. You only get into that that's the one he wants you to go to. Have fun. What if you get into all 17 you applied to? Uh-oh. Guess what? Just do what you want. Just select any of the godly options. Do you understand that sometimes God will not give you a directive will. He'll only give you an active will and that's okay. Don't waste your life asking, "God, exactly who should I marry?" This girl or this girl? Are they both godly, awesome Christian women? Yup. Marry one of them and you're going to have a great life. God, which school should I go to? This school or that school? Will you be able to magnify me at both these places? Yeah. Go to whichever one you want. God, which job should I take? Well, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not going to tell you exactly which one to take. Why don't you see if circumstances work out and, and uh, maybe your wife used to go to that church and, and, and maybe she used to live in Springfield and so it'll feel like home before you ever even get there. And maybe the number one thing the elders want you to do is the only thing you do really, really well okay, well, this seems like it works out. But God, I guess I could still go just teach at a university. Yeah, Andrew, go do whatever you want. And I am, and it's awesome because it's God's will. And I love it here. I love it here. So I'll just pick whichever godly option you want. Well, notice what some of chapter 12, verse three says. Don't think of yourself more highly than you want, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given each one of us. This means that a renewed mind is never prideful. A renewed mind understands the value of the contributions that everyone makes to the congregation. You know that God gifts people differently, don't you? Not everybody has the same gifting as everyone else. For just like we all have one body with many parts, we who are in Christ are many yet form one body and each part belongs to the others, but all belong to God. We do this together, but not everybody has to preach. We do this together, but not everybody has to sing. Well, you should still preach, but maybe not on stage, and still sing, but maybe not be on a microphone. But you understand what I'm saying? Because we have been gifted differently. And so, we must magnify God with our spiritual gifts. Do you know what a spiritual gift is? A spiritual gift is a special supernatural talent or ability that God gives you to magnify Him. Now, this is different from a regular talent or ability. Every human being has certain regular talents and abilities because every human being is made in the image of God and God can do a lot of stuff and so therefore everybody alive can do something. Some people can throw a ball really far. Some people can play a piano really great. That doesn't make it a spiritual gift. But sometimes you can turn your natural talent into a spiritual gift if you devote your entire self to God and give it back to Him. He will return it to you supercharged spiritually, such that you can magnify him. And that's really awesome. Sometimes, your spiritual gift has nothing to do with the natural talents and abilities that you have. But if you wanna figure out spiritual gifts, you gotta read Romans chapter 12, and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and Ephesians chapter four, because these are the three spots in the New Testament where spiritual gifts are laid out. These are the three spots. And there are 19 spiritual gifts listed, Did you know that the word for spiritual gifts actually is the gift of grace? And the Greek word for grace is charis or charis, and the Greek word for gift is mata, and so you have charismata, charismatic, gift of grace, spiritual gift, 19 of them in scripture. You want to know what they are? administration, apostleship, discernment, evangelism, exhortation, also known as encouragement, faith, giving, healing, knowledge, leadership, mercy, miracles, prophecy, pastoring, and shepherding, serving, teaching, tongues, interpretation, tongues, and wisdom. 19. And they're all awesome. And they're all valuable. And they're all terrific. And you don't have them all, but all of you have some of them. Do you know what yours are? Some of you do. Good. But if you don't, You need to figure that out so that you can magnify God with everything you are and everything you've been given. I don't have all the gifts. Look at that first one, administration. I don't have the gift of administration. The gift of administration is being extremely organized and able to put things together in such a way that you can tell people where to go and send things where they need to go and get bills paid on time. I'm so grateful that we've got Amanda who's got the gift of administration in the office and I'm so grateful that Chris has the gift of administration because I don't want somebody without it leading our youth trips and so we need somebody who knows how to do stuff logistically. But I do have some of the gifts. One of the gifts that I have is encouragement or exhortation. Now, encouragement or exhortation is not just encouraging somebody individually. Exhorting is sort of encouraging a bunch of people at the same time. And this is where you inspire people. I think I do that. I think I do that, but I also have the gift of teaching. Teaching is where you convey information. If you have the gift of exhortation without the gift of teaching, you're nothing but a motivational speaker. But if you have the gift of teaching without the gift of exhortation, you're nothing but a boring lecturer. If you have both at the same time, you can be a powerful, dynamic teacher. If you want to find out if I'm a powerful, dynamic teacher, come to class on Wednesday and I'll show you. I think it's going to be fun. But I also have the gift of knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is just being able to recall what you read and know where stuff is in the Bible and and help people think about God's stuff. I do that. And wisdom is the ability to take the information of Scripture and the truth of the foundation of the Christian life and help people apply that to their lives. Not everybody has every gift, but everybody has some gift. And if you want to learn about the gifts, read Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4. If you want to take a test, because there's lots of websites that have a bunch of tests about spiritual gifts, the one that I like best is called spiritualgiftstest.com. It's super easy to remember because it's just the name, spiritual gifts, and then add test.com. It goes through the 19 spiritual gifts, and it tests for a lot of different things, but if you want to find out what your spiritual gift is, here's what you can do. Ask God. Just ask him. God, what spiritual gift have you given me such that I can magnify you with everything I am and everything you've you've given me? And if you still quite aren't sure, come talk to Chris or me or the elders or somebody. We'll sit down with you for 20 minutes and then say, what's our spiritual gift? And I'll tell you. you Because it's super clear to other people sometimes. But it's sometimes hard for us to figure it out ourselves. But if you study, if you renew your mind, you can figure out what your spiritual gift is. And if you do... Then you can magnify God with the gifts He's given you by exercising them to glorify Him by strengthening believers and by expanding God's kingdom, because that's what He wants for us. He wants us to magnify Him with everything we are and everything we've been given. So learn your spiritual gift. Renew your mind. Pray. Study. Go to spiritualgiftstest.com. Think about spiritual. There's tons of good books written about this. Talk. Sometimes it'll be controversial. Oh, I noticed you didn't talk a lot about tongues this morning. Well, you're right, but I'll sure tell you what they are and what they aren't and how to do them and how not to do them, and if you need them, don't just get caught up in saying, oh, I wish I could do miracles. Oh, I, I, I wish I had the spiritual gift of miracles. Man, be happy with the spiritual gift you've got. If yours is giving, give cheerfully. If yours is leading, lead diligently. If it's serving, serve. Teaching, teach. Find out what it is and use it for the glory of God. For otherwise, you are sitting on his gift and you are not magnifying him with it. Ask him what your gift is. Ask me what your gift is. God will reveal this. Because if you renew your mind, do you know what you'll be able to do? You'll be able to magnify God with your doctrine. you got to magnify God with your doctrine, rightly, to explain the book of Romans to somebody. you got to be able to explain everybody was a sinner, but God loves everybody, and so God the Father sent God the Son to die on the cross, and God the Spirit lives in us, raising Jesus from the dead, validating and vindicating the justifying sacrifice, sanctifying us, promising the glorified body. you got to have the right doctrine, but you can do that. You can magnify God with your whole self, not just part of you, every single thing about you your mind your heart your soul your body every single part of you and then you can kill it every single morning that sinful part of yourself because you're a living sacrifice you're not just devoted to god you are a sacrifice die again and again and again as you live for him and you can magnify god with your whole transformation you can shine like jesus in this world of darkness And you can call and compel people to come to the truth instead of being happy, sloughing around in the darkness and the conforming pattern of this world and the evil of its culture. You can pull people out just by being transformed. But if you're transformed, you'll also be able to magnify God with your relationships because you won't ever look down on somebody who doesn't have the same gift as you. Oh, you only have that gift? (laughs) Ha ha ha, I have this. No, no one's allowed to say that. Every gift is valuable. Every gift contributes. Every part of my body I want. I don't want to just chop off my pinky because I don't like it. Even though I use my tongue to talk a lot, I need my pinky toe for balance. And so if I don't want to fall over, I need all of them. Everybody plays a role. Never look down on yourself because you don't play a more public role. God doesn't call everybody to public roles. He calls people to give and encourage silently, also. You know that, right? Behind the scenes? You can magnify God within your congregation. But tell me, how can you magnify God within your congregation if you just come and you don't serve? If you come and you receive the music, good, it's glorious. But we're not magnifying you. If you come and are inspired, good, that's nice. But I'm not here to magnify you. We're here to magnify God. So when you come, be a living sacrifice and give all of you, including your service. Not everybody has every spiritual gift. I don't have the gift of faith. Well, wait a minute, Andrew. Everybody's got to have faith to be saved, right? Like you're saved by grace through faith. Yeah, there's a difference between faith that you get by hearing the word of God according to Romans 10 and the spiritual gift of faith, which is a special extra different thing that my wife was given. Kim has a spiritual gift of faith. For seven years, I would ask her, Kim, do you think Jesus could have sinned? Not did he sin, could he have sinned? And she would say, no. And for seven years, I would think about it and think about it and finally after years of apologetic and philosophical study, I said, honey, I figured it out, Jesus couldn't sin. And she said, I know, I said that seven years ago. I said, well, I don't just believe stuff. I use doubt as my default method. I think it's because I used to be an atheist. I don't, just, I don't just have the faith that some people have, but I cry out like the apostles, increase my faith because I want everything I am and everything I've been given to glorify and magnify God. I used to be an atheist and tell people not to go to church and I was a jerk and I was really mean about it and then I became a Christian and my youth minister let me give a communion meditation for the youth group one night and I did. And when I was done giving my communion meditation, one of the moms came up to me, and she said, oh, kid, you missed your calling. You should have gone to Bible school. I thought, why? And she said, well, clearly, you like to do research. You like to think. You memorize a lot of stuff. You could do a lot of good as a preacher. You know that? I said, I don't know, maybe. And it didn't hit me until later, after I met Woody, that I really wanted to do this. I can't see myself doing anything else because I gotta magnify God, don't you? Would you stand with me right now? Would you stand with me? And as we close, as I get ready to pray, and as we get ready to sing a final song, and as we get ready to leave, and go eat, and live our day, and live our Christian life, and watch the game, and do what we do, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to do. I want you to commit today, this week, to being a living sacrifice. That's what I want you to do. In view of God's mercy, and his mercy is plentiful, I want you to commit today and this week to being a living sacrifice. Say, I will die every day to my selfish nature, and I will live by devoting all of who I am to you, God, for your magnification. For that's the whole reason we were created, to magnify him. He made us in his image so that more of him could get out there. You exist to magnify God. Be a living sacrifice so you can magnify him whether that's at school or work or home or anywhere. That's his will for you and I know because my mind has been renewed and I've been transformed and he made it very, very clear to me. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we love you. Thank you for making your will known. May we be the sort of people who give our entire selves to you and live as a dying sacrifice every single day, living for you, dying to sin, magnifying you with everything we are and everything you've given us. Because God, we love you, but don't you dare just take our word for it. See it in how we live, because how we live is based on the truth. This we pray in your perfect name. Amen. During this song, if you need prayer or if you need to talk to Chris or to me, if you need to become a Christian, let's make it happen. Let's commit this week.